56 here. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, that being Jesus. And behold, the woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Uh, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. So we'll start there. So again, just to recap, we have this woman who comes, right? who is, sees that her Savior is in the area, and she decides to bring him this gift, right? And we went through all of that. It showed a lot of humility. It showed a lot of um, honor to Jesus in doing this. But really, when you think about the overall account here in Luke, it is really about Jesus evangelizing to Simon the Pharisee. And so before we dig in too much, there is this illustration about George Wilson. In 1830, a man named George Wilson was arrested for mail theft, the penalty for which was hanging. After a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon, but he refused to accept it. The authorities were puzzled. Should Wilson be freed or hanged? They consulted uh, Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. A pardon is a, sl- a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person who is to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And So when you think about George Wilson, he is much like the Pharisee, right? He didn't see his need for the Savior. In this point, he was going to be hanged. He didn't see the need for the pardon, or at least he didn't accept it. And Simon is very much in the same boat. He either doesn't see or he doesn't accept the um, pardon for his sin through Jesus Christ. I like what MacArthur wrote about it. He says, in reality, the self-righteous... Hypocritical, hypocritical religious leaders were the worst possible sinners, people who believe they are not lost and think they do not need redemption, cannot be saved. So, it's very true, right? Here you have a Pharisee who says, I'm good enough, I don't need Jesus. And therefore, it is the worst kind of sin, right? Because he's never going to get to the point where he needs a Savior. He is the Savior in himself. So we're going to look at the first point, which is the response to Christ. Again, verse 39, we see that, uh, so it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say, teacher. Then continuing on, well, actually, we'll just stop right there. So he says he, he, Jesus should have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, right? A sinner. Essentially what Simon is saying there is, I got him. 
see if he's logically saying to himself, well, if Jesus knew this woman, right, that means he would be a prophet. Therefore, he doesn't understand who this woman is. She's a sinner, and he's letting her do this to him. Therefore, he concludes wrongfully, right, that he must not be a prophet um, because she is washing, kissing, and anointing. No religious leader would have let that woman do that to them. So there's two reasons he concluded here that Jesus was not a true prophet. The first one we can see in Isaiah 11, which is prophets should have discernment, right? He says he should have known who this woman is. So if you go to Isaiah 11, 3 through 4, it says this, And his delight shall be in uh, in the fear of the Lord, and he shall... Not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and to decide with equity for the meek and for the uh, of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now this is talking about a future king of Israel. Ultimately, Jesus, right? And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And it's interesting when you look at this, because it says in his delight, um, in verse 3, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, right? But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Basically saying, whoever this is going to be, ultimately Jesus, is going to have a supernatural discernment. They're going to know, right? Without seeing, they're going to be able to know the person. Without hearing, they're going to be able to know. Which is kind of interesting. So it actually, from Simon's point of view, it actually makes sense. He is correct. Jesus, to be Jesus, should have known who he was. He was just wrong in his conclusion in thinking that he didn't know when Jesus did know who she was. Because... In other points of scriptures, if you take that, remember that, verse, those verses in Isaiah, and turn to John 47 through 50. Because Jesus here, he, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel sees the opposite of Simon the Pharisee, right? He actually sees that Jesus does know him, and to him, that is proof. Oh, I see. You know me. You have that supernatural understanding that you can see without actually seeing me, right? And he sees that as proof, and he says what? You are the King of Israel, the one we were waiting for. So, Simon doesn't see them, and yet we see that Nathaniel did. So that's the first reason. He says, okay, well, Jesus doesn't understand who this woman is, therefore he must not be a prophet. The other thing is prophets were to be holy, and Simon considered her a sinner. Again, we talked about being a sinner and how that would make you unclean, and they were the low in society, right? You didn't want to be called a sinner, 
No religious leader at the time would ever let that woman, the sinner, get that close to them. They might have thought that she would even make them unclean at that point. But Jesus, again, already addressed the idea of loving even sinners. In Luke 6, 32-34, it says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back that same amount. He's basically saying, look, if you do all those things, just know that even sinners do the same thing. So what benefit is that? But then he says in verse 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. He's saying, look, do those things. Don't even expect anything in return. Love your enemies. Love those sinners. And so, Jesus wanted them to be a witness to the lost, right? That is who he came to save. Come. He came for, right? To seek and save the lost. And that's what he's pointing to here. When you think about Jesus, though, there really is nothing that he could do for them to like him. They already had their preconceived notions, as we talked about last month. I know it's hard to remember, right? Even them inviting him to his house, Simon, inviting Jesus, right? He's looking for a reason, for something to use against Jesus. And it, Jesus even talks about this. Just flip over to Luke seven thirty-three through 34, the passage just before us. He says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread or drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunken, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He's saying, look, no matter what, John the Baptist actually had a ministry that really the religious leaders of the time would have liked. It was more in line with their style, right? Eating no bread and drinking no wine, like the tax or the Pharisee who says, right? Thank God I am not like that person and how they would purposely um, fast to make themselves look like they were more spiritual than the others because um, they would look like they were fasting. And so John the Baptist had one, a ministry similar to theirs that they would have more so liked. And he says, look, you didn't even like John the Baptist. And then you look at me and you say, look, he is drinking and he is a glutton. Hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. saying, there's nothing that I'm going to do that you're going to like because you've already decided you don't like me. So, again, Simon assumes that Jesus doesn't know the woman. And it's very interesting because Jesus now will prove to Simon that he not only knows the woman, the woman, but he also knows Simon as well. Because the thing is, Simon said to himself, that's what it says in the passage. So Jesus is going to ask Simon a question based off of what Simon was thinking in his head. It's a good way to prove that you know what someone's thinking. 
And I kind of look at this as a kind of interesting thing, because there's probably a bunch of other people talking at this moment in time. And have you ever been into a class? Some of you may have been a while before since you've been in a class. But you're sitting in class, and you're thinking about something completely random, and then all of a sudden you hear your name, Caden, and you're like, who said my name? And then they're like, you look at the teacher, and he's like, Caden, do you know how to answer that question? And you're like, of course I do. And so I kind of see it as this point in time, right? He's lost in thought. He's thinking about, oh, I got Jesus. He must not be a prophet. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, Simon, I have a question for you. And so he says, say it, teacher. And so here we have the parable. It says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. The parable is actually very simple to understand. God is the creditor, men are the debtors, and the sins, the debts. Remember that the canceled in this verse is that karizomai, uh, uh, the business word, but to mean canceled debt, but theologically is to, uh, used of uh, the forgiveness from God. And 500 denarii was a year and a half's wage, while 50 was about two months. So there's a big difference there. And you can see the confidence that Simon has in his answer. The one... I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Being facetious, of course, he seems very unconfident in his answer. I suppose, right? But the parable, right, is simple. The one who has been forgiven the most, loves the most. And some of us may have been actually in some form of actual debt, like money, and may have been forgiven that. And you know how great of a feeling that can be, right? It's different if someone forgives you for $5 rather than 500 There's a big difference in how you're going to feel about that. With the $5, you're going to say, thank you. With the 500 you're going to say, thank you so much, right? And that's kind of what is being taught here through this parable. There can be a difficulty in interpreting this, though. Because... You have to ask yourselves, do more sins equal more love? The one who loves the most. You could walk away from this parable thinking that way. You could be thinking, the more sin I have in my life, previous to conversion, the better off I'll be in the end, right? Because if I have all these sins, the deeper my sin, the deeper my love will then be for God when I turn from that sin which would be a not right way to view this parable. Because the debt here is the conscience awareness of that sin, right? And the extent of it. The thing is, Simon was the 50 denarii sinner, right? And she was the 500 That is, Simon didn't even see his need for his 
need for the Savior. He thought to himself, well, I don't have that many sins. I'm good on my own. I don't need Jesus. And the woman saw herself and she says, look at all my sin. I need a Savior. I like what our trench wrote about Simon. He said, he, being Simon, may not have no great objection to the plan of salvation, yet he thinks he could have done nearly or quite as well without Christ. And that is what is being illustrated in this parable. The 50 denarii sinner is the one who says, I don't need Christ. And yet the woman is the one who loved much. And that's kind of easy to see this illustration poured out. Hopefully all of you are believers. You've put your faith and trust in Christ, right? And when you did that, you didn't look back at your few sins, right? You didn't look at the 50 denarii sins, as you will, right? You didn't look back and say, well, I lied here and there just a few times, but it wasn't that bad, but I guess I need Jesus, right? You looked back at your life, And all you saw was sin. You said, I am a sinner, and I need saved from that sin. And so that is what's being illustrated here. So when you think about this, how do you respond to Christ, right? Are you seeing the extent of your sin, and hopefully how much you've been saved from that sin, right? Where sin increases... Grace abounds all the more. Hopefully that's what you are seeing. And can you say, as Nathaniel did, that Jesus, you are king over your life. So that's the first, the response to Christ. And we see that Simon had a very poor response to Christ. And then we see the rebuke of Christ. And so, reading on in our passage... It says in verse 44, after he says, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with the tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But, the, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. The thing is, Jesus saw them both as sinners, at least at one point in time. He was the 50 denarii sinner. Actually, Ironside calls him the 50 pence sinner. And I like that. <clears throat> the thing is, with her, we already discussed that her sins were known, obviously, because she walks in the room and starts doing this, and Simon immediately says, look, she's a sinner. We know she is a sinner. So she had a lot of sins of commission at one point in time. That is, she did a lot of sins that were obvious to people. And I think he had a lot of sins of omission. That is, he did not do what he ought to do. But ultimately, it doesn't matter, right? Because he is a sinner, as Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is what he was failing to see. But his 
actions showed a lot of omission. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. It showed a lot of lack of love. And the thing is, he's contrasting that with the very person that he looks at and says, is a sinner, right? He's looking at her and saying, she's a sinner. Why are you doing this or letting her do this to you? And Jesus is saying, you were supposed to be doing this, and yet she is doing it. And he just directly points... So Simon is condemning her, and Jesus is rebuking him. He says, no water for my feet, right? We talked about this. It's humility. And it was just something that um, was customary for the time. It was expected that people would do this. If you think about the story of Abraham and the angels coming, right? The first thing he says is, come, let me wash your feet. Let me bring water to do that. So it was customary, And so, Boyce points out that no doubt he deliberately postponed this courtesy until he could be sure Jesus was the one he really wanted to honor. So he's purposely holding back. He's saying, I'll I'll wait to see. See what Jesus does. So he gives him no water for his feet. Or no kiss, as we talked. It is a loving salutation. Something that was common at the time. Um, even Romans says, greet one another with a holy kiss, right? It's what people did when they loved each other and greeted each other. And then finally, anointing my head uh, with oil, right? Showing honor to that person. And he didn't even use olive oil for this. So Jesus points to him and says, look, you didn't do all these things. Therefore, I know you have little love for me. And that's omission, right? From what he did not do and he should have done. So the question is, do our actions in our own life show a lack of love for God? It's easy to point out other people's, particularly Simon's, flaws in our life. But how about our own lives? And it's always easy to think about this. If I went to your social media account right now, and I looked through the past week, and I was looking at it, who would I say you love the most just by looking at your social media? Or if I could live a life in your day, or if I spent a day with you, just walked your whole day with you, who would I say you love the most if I did that for a week? Or I'd make a list of the top 10 things that are most important to you. How high would God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit be on that? The thing is, who would I say you love the most? And the thing is, I say that, but I know I wouldn't be any better than you guys, right? There's a lot of distractions in this world. There's a lot of things that can take our attention away from God. But we need to make sure we keep him the center focus of our life in everything we do. So that is the rebuke of Christ. A rather harsh one, I'm sure, at that time. So then we see the attitude towards Christ is the final thing. Uh, so we'll just finish reading out this. 
Uh, therefore, I tell you, your sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Uh, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, so we see those uh, those words quite a bit in Luke, who is this who forgives sin, or in any of the Gospels, right? They're like, only God can forgive sins is what they usually tag along with that. When you think about Simon, you just see that he was wrong about everything that was happening in this account. Simon sees the false prophet. He concludes wrong, right? He must not be the Son of God. And yet Jesus was the Son of God, and he proved it. He saw a sinful woman, and yet Jesus saw a forgiven soul. He saw himself as a righteous man, and Jesus saw a lost soul. Ultimately, he didn't need the Savior. At least he thought he didn't need the Savior. It was truly the one that Jesus came to seek. Simon was blind to his, to his own sin, and yet he could see the flaws in other people just not his own, right? He was like that Pharisee praying openly, right? Thank you, I am not like those tax collectors and sinners. Easy to point out other people's flaws, just not his own. He just could not say, I am a sinner, Jesus, and I need you. And we talk kind of negatively about Pharisees, if feel often, but the thing is we should feel really sorry for them, right? Because ultimately, Simon is the very person who needs to understand who Jesus is and seek forgiveness, and he is the one who cannot understand it. As Wearsby states, it is hard for those who do not need or see their need for the Savior to see the Savior, and that is Simon. He was the 50-pence sinner in the sense that he was not aware of the extent of his sin. Modern, The modern-day equivalent is the one who says, well, I'm pretty good. I'll manage on my own, right? I haven't done that many bad things. Surely I'll get to heaven. They say, I'm not that bad. I don't need God. But the thing is, they need to be asking is, how many sins do you need to commit before you are labeled as a sinner? Even just one wrong thought, right, is the greatest offense to a holy God. So the result of all of this, Simon loved little. Again, he felt like he didn't need Jesus and he, Jesus kind of is very obvious with this. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Right? So he's equating. He told the parable, there's 500 and there's 50. She is the one who had many sins. You are the one who thinks you don't have sins. And so her sins, which are forgiven, uh, which were many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. So he goes through this spiel, look, she loves me, she does all this. 
you don't. You haven't done anything for me. You're showing your lack of love. And it's because it stems from a lack of forgiveness. So instead of turning from their ways and receiving forgiveness, right? What do they do? They question him in verse 39. Who is this who even forgives sins? So in the end, in conclusion conclusion here, um, don't be the 50 pence Christian in the sense that you forget the grace that has been in your life, right? You are saved. Remember all that Christ has saved you from. That's why we are here today, right? For communion, to remember and proclaim that sacrifice that Christ has for us. Um, When we fail to do this, uh, it can lead to ingratitude for the things that are in our life, for the things that Christ has done for us. And we always want to proclaim and be grateful for the grace and mercy that has been applied to our lives. So, in conclusion, there's two sinners here. One in this account. One sees all their sin, the other sees little. The one with a large debt acknowledges that sin and seeks forgiveness. Upon receiving grace through faith, she loved much. The other does not see his sin, nor the Savior, so he loves him little. So we want to be the one who sees the Savior, responds to the Savior, and loves much in return. And so with that, let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, I just pray that you would um, help us to quiet our hearts at this point in time as we come together to um, proclaim your death and your sacrifice for us that uh, gave us that paid our debts and gave us so much grace and mercy and I pray that as we go throughout this world in our life that we would continually be focused on you um, be thinking of you and be grateful for that sacrifice and in turn have much love for you and for this world and that we would have um a great boldness to go preach your death and sacrifice and your resurrection to this world so that they in turn will love much as well. We just thank you and praise you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.